All right, today we're going to learn a little Bible, okay? So to do that, I need five volunteers, three men and two women. Now. Three men and two women. Now. Come on. Come on, let's go. Give me three men and two women. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, Ken. Come on. Ken's not the only courageous man in the world. All right. Come on, Judy. Come on. Oh, good. What? I got him. I got him. Good. Give it up. Give it up. How we doing? We're doing. We're doing. RC, you're going to hold you out. I'm going to hold you. I got what I need. You're my hero, though, for coming up. All right. We're going to learn real quickly the story of Esther, at least part of it. This is going to go fast, so pay close attention. There will be a test in heaven. All right. This is King Azurus. Of course he would be the king, right? Is there any doubt about that? There's my king, all right? The king is the large, most powerful king in the world, rules the land all over Persia. He's mighty, he's powerful, he's to be feared. All right. Queen Vashti is right here. She is one hot mama. That's what the Bible says. It says she's absolutely stunningly beautiful. She's married to King Azurus, and she has a mind of her own. Okay. This is Mordecai. Mordecai, I'm going to put you right here. You're just going to chill for a second. You'll be very important in a few minutes. Take two more steps forward. This is Haman, who is an advisor to the king. Got it? You just sit there for a while. So... Kizurus decides to throw a massive party for the sole purpose of showing off how rich and powerful he is. Can you play that role? No. (laughs) So he has this amazing party. It's a blowout. I mean, it is a ridiculously powerful story. It's the kind of story, if you read Esther by it's only 10 chapters. You could read it very fast this afternoon. It has debauchery and sex and political intrigue. I mean, it's an HBO series is what I'm telling you. (laughs) So he throws this massive party and everybody's rocking and most people are drunk and he says, I want to show off my extremely beautiful queen. So he says, queen, come here. However, Queen Vashti has a mind of her own. So she says, nope, I ain't coming. I'm cool where I am, which really tees off the king and worries him because he's afraid. Listen to what he's afraid of. He's afraid that other women might get it in their idea they don't have to do what their man says. I'm just saying, it's in the Bible. So he pulls these people together and he says, what am I going to do? My wife is disobeying me. She's not jumping to my command. And other wives in the kingdom might start doing the same thing. They're freaking out. So he does the only thing a kind, loving husband can do. He banishes her from the kingdom. Go away. (laughs) Now, sometime later, he realizes he probably overreached a little bit. But he doesn't go after Queen Vashti. He decides, along with his counselors, that what he should do is pull off this Cinderella story. I want you to find all the beautiful women of the kingdom 
Of course, they have to be beautiful women. That's part. It's in the Bible. And you have to come, and, and, and I get to sort of, well, try them out. And the one, the most beautiful, is the one that I will uh, make my queen. Esther is the most beautiful in all the kingdom. <laughs> Not only is she naturally beautiful, they give her six months to put on beauty cream to get ready. <laughs> it's in the Bible. So she is dolled up. She's looking very fine, okay? She comes over, and the king says, thumbs up. So they're together, okay? Now, the reason she entered the contest is that Mordecai, who's her father figure, technically they're cousins, but her parents passed away, so he raised her, okay? So he's like dad. He said, this is your shot to try to get out of this neighborhood. Go for it. She goes for it, and he comes along, and he finds himself in a place inside the temple gates with a little bit of opportunity to serve. But Mordecai is a Hebrew, a Jew. He has no interest in kowtowing to the non-Jewish leaders. So unlike the other servants who are used to bowing down low, you know, and just honoring the... He's, he just stands, man. He's good. He's his own man. He doesn't need to worry about other people. So, you know, he doesn't disrespect. He's just not going to bow down. You got it? I knew you could. All right. Haman comes walking by one day. By Mordecai, Mordecai. and Mordecai doesn't bow down. Uh That doesn't make you very happy. That's not good. He's a servant. He should bow to you. He ain't bowing. So being the strong man that he is, he comes running and crying to the king. (laughs) Queen, I want you to stand back over there for a second. She's not in the room, and he says he won't bow down. Now, not only should we deal with him harshly, but I found out that he's a Hebrew. Let's kill all of the Jews in the land because they're that kind of people. And then Edith goes out for the first Holocaust in history. Mordecai hears about this, and he comes over to Esther, who he helped raise. And now he's about to say something to Esther that is pivotal not only in this story, but for the history of the Jews. Listen as the scripture is read to you. You guys are welcome. Thank, give it up for your team. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Thank you. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we ask you that you would, in fact, reveal to us truth from this story, that we would allow our hearts and minds to not only be engulfed by the power of the story, but the power of the story that we're living today, that that connection would be made today, and that we would give, be given strength to speak and to act in the ways in which you are calling us. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. In just four weeks, we'll begin the season of Lent. And during that season, we will, as we have always done in Lent, uh, follow a journey that will take us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will we be following Christ and seeing how the power of the resurrection casts its light on us today, blending together the past and the future in this amazing way that will be our focus for Lent? So we have three weeks between movie month and Lent. And we're trying to decide what to do with those three weeks. And somebody suggested, let's just three more weeks of movies. No. No, we wanted to, we wanted to gain some understanding of, let's get back into the Word of God in a very specific way. Let's tell some stories of the Bible. Because the storytelling of the Bible is not simply storytelling, it's reclaiming our identity and our power. We believe Scripture is Scripture, not only because it's great literature, but because it is words by which the power of God flows through and shapes who we are as an individual and as a community. We need to be in the Word. So we wanted to go for three weeks, taking a look at stories from the Bible, and after conversation, Megan and I came up with, Megan was encouraging me, and she's exactly right, we're going to go for three weeks on telling these three stories of three women in the Bible who become superheroes for us. Today I introduce you to Esther. Esther really was the first Marvel script for a movie. It would make a great Marvel story. It's a story of a woman who finds herself very much in a world dominated by men and finds courage within herself to play a pivotal role in the life of her people. It is from the story of Esther that the Feast of Purim occurs within the Jewish community. It's coming up in the third week of March. During the Feast of Purim, the community gathers together to do do these four things, to remember the story of Esther, to hear it. During the two days of Purim, they are encouraged to give money to the poor or needy, at least two people. They are encouraged to send food to friends to share abundance. And they are encouraged, last of all, on the last night of Purim, to throw a feast in celebration of God's work through Esther. The story of Esther is oftentimes focused for Christian preachers on the theme for such a time as this. The idea being, as as you heard Mordecai say to Esther, maybe all of this has happened, this amazing rise from being a small town, insignificant by standards of the world, young lady, becoming the queen, maybe all that has occurred so that you could be here for such a time as this. But as I was reading scripture and going back into the story again, that while I do believe probably the main theme is that we do find ourselves in particular places in our life for a particular reason, I was drawn to the passage where it said simply this, 
if you remain silent. I was stuck on that phrase, if you remain silent. What he's saying to Esther is, you've got to speak up. You've got to be willing to sacrifice all that you are, all that you have received, by going to speak on behalf of your people to the king. You've got to speak up. And as I thought about that, it seemed to me that in that statement, if we remain silent, and the consequences that occur if we as God's people remain silent is a powerful message for us today. I think first it's a powerful message because I paid attention, maybe for the first time, it's the first time in my memory, to what she actually did. You already know, because we played the story out in front of you, that Esther did go to the king. Well, maybe you didn't know that, but I'm going to tell you, she does. And she speaks on behalf of her people, and in fact, the people are saved. But it's what she does before she goes to speak that caught my attention. It says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king. I had never paid attention to the fact that before she went to speak to the king, she intentionally asked the people of Susa to enter into a fast with her. And Susa is her hometown. Susa is her people. Susa are the folks who knew her before she became queen, Esther. And she's turning back to the people who helped raise her, who gave her the faith, who she knows, who know her as she truly is, and is asking for them to join with her in a fast so that she can focus on exactly what God might have her do and say. She is intentionally taking time before she jumps into it to make sure she's opened up her heart and her mind so that whatever she does in the moment will reflect the deepest truths of her faith and be blessed by God. What difference would there be in our world if everyone took time before they opened their mouth to think about the impact of their words and actions to others and for the sake of Christ? There's a clip that I was going to have ready for today, and it's on me, I didn't get it done, but it's a clip from The Wizard of Oz. And it's where Dorothy sees the um, a scarecrow for the first time. And the scarecrow begins speaking to Dorothy, and Dorothy says, how can you speak without a brain? And the best line of the entire movie comes back from the scarecrow. There are a lot of people who do a lot of talking without worrying about their brain. Can I get an amen? amen. Esther did not want to be a person who would just go off and speak. Not only because she didn't have confidence, but more importantly because she wanted to make sure what she had to say would be meaningful, would be important to the other person in a way that would persuade them, not compel them, to be able to do what God needed them to do. There are times, believe it or not, 
where I have spent time deciding whether I should speak or not. There are some venues where I get a chance to say whatever I want to say, but there are other places where I sometimes have to confess I tread too quietly. Sometimes out of fear of what the other person would say or think. Sometimes because I wasn't exactly 100% sure of what I should say. But one of the things I realized is, is that maybe I haven't spent enough time getting myself out of the way. That perhaps the messages that we need to share to each other shouldn't be so much about us, but rather about fulfilling what God needs to have happen in that encounter. So if I have to say something to Chuck, my anxiety about that, admittedly, sometimes might be about how Chuck will receive me, but perhaps more importantly, I need to get out of the way so that what I say to Chuck is what I, in my best discernment, believe is what God needs Chuck to hear. Because that's what I care about the most. The story of Esther invites us all today to consider this. What messages have you been withholding? What things others need to hear from you? Not because you're arrogantly better than them or smarter than them, but because in the core of your being, you want to witness the presence of God to them. When you consider those relationships and consider those people, perhaps like Esther, then it might be wise to enter into a time of preparation. She fasted for three days, and it's a great way, no kidding, to be able to set yourself spiritually in front of God, but for most of us, fasting is a foreign concept. So maybe it's journaling, maybe it's centering prayer, maybe it's reading scripture, maybe it's having holy conversation with others to reflect on what God might want to have happen at that moment. But whatever it is, to get out of yourself and get out of the way so that what happens in the moment of the conversation that you're looking to have is blessed by God. Not that you're made perfect or that you'll always say exactly the right thing the right way. Almost never happens but that you are as present to them and to God in the same level in those conversations is critical. Esther wanted her witness to have an impact. She wanted to act and speak in a way that would prevent injustice. So before she spoke, she fasted to listen to God. She was seeking God to be carried through her words and actions. She wasn't putting it off. She was seeking to be faithful. She also knew she did not speak for herself. She was part of a larger community, which is why she sought their support. When we gather together in worship, it is at least in part a reminder that we are not on this journey alone. And that we are called to find our strength within the community that shares our faith, that witnesses to the world our best understanding of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So when I am called to speak truth to others, when you are called to speak truth to others, one of the testament or one of the testings that you can have to consider what to say is how does what I'm about to say reflect the truth of our community of faith of what we believe collectively. So that our witness is both individual in each of our stories, but also communal as we share 
one story together as disciples. We are part of a community here at Clarkson United Methodist Church defined simply by Jesus Christ. And that should be our consideration of how we share our witness in the world, whatever it is. We are not seeking conformity. That's one of the truths about Clarkson United Methodist Church. We are not concerned that we all agree on the same thing. We are not even concerned that you always agree with Pastor Rick. Though why wouldn't you? What we are concerned with is that whether we agree or disagree, we are of the same spirit. We are of the same harmony and relationship to Jesus Christ, and we find our strength in that community of faith, and we give our individual witness and testimonies where we might be. There are places where we have to ask the question, what should I say? What, what should I do? Should I remain silent? Should I say something? Well, when is our silence undermining the possibility of God? And see, I want to say a word about that. I really think that's what it came down to me in writing this sermon. It really isn't that when I were to say something to someone else that I think they need to jump to my tune or do it exactly as I just said. I don't think that's the point at all. I believe that when we share something with others faithfully, We are not telling them what to do. We are saying words that create the possibilities that God sees that could happen in the moment. I have enough time, enough difficult time trying to figure out how to get my own life right. I'm not going to try to tell you how to live yours, but I do want you and me together to create the greatest opportunity for the possibilities that God sees that could happen between us and through us to occur. So what might happen if we don't take the opportunity to speak in faith? What happens when we withhold telling others that we love them? Simple. And yet how often is it that the people who need to hear it from the most are the ones who hear it the least because we're so darn busy with other priorities? What happens when we choose to remain silent as we hear the offensive joke. What happens when we who are the disciples of Jesus Christ in the world believe that we should refrain from speaking and telling others about Jesus? It is mind-blowing for me to consider that the church has been reduced to thinking the only way we're going to pass down the tradition is by the kids in our Sunday school program. The church has always been created so the disciples will come together and we will tell others about Christ in an invitation away. What happens when our silence keeps us from asking the next important question? What happens when our silence causes us to withhold the invitation of grace to others? What happens... (laughs) When we refuse to sing the songs of faith, I'll tell you one of the reasons I come to church is so that I can sing. It has nothing to do with whether I sing well or not. No one cares. If any of you are sitting there worried about the person in front of you, how they're going to hear you sing, get over it. No one cares. 
What we care about is that when we sing, we pray twice with the words in our spirit. How dare we remain silent or soft-spoken in our singing? What happens when our silence undermines the possibility of God when we refuse to take the time to pray? Those are just some of the examples that I think of where my silence, and maybe yours, has limited the possibility of God to be set free in our life, in our relationships, and in the world. What's the conversation you need to have? Not because of what you need, but because of how it might set God's possibility free. This past week, a pretty poignant week for me. I was down in North Carolina, spent most of the time staying up all night at the hospital. My brother-in-law's in pretty poor shape. More about that in a second. But I did get to spend a couple of nights with Elizabeth and Matt and our two grandchildren, Elena and Caroline, which is pretty much the definition of heaven to me. But I noticed that Elena was having some emotional, she wasn't acting right the way Elena does. Her spirit was somewhat muted. And I talked with Elizabeth, and while I was there, we found out that Elena's being bullied at school. So I, as your pastor, decided to be very gentle and kind in thinking about those who are bullying my grandchild. <laughs> we pulled up to the school, and there was a group gathering, and we were there to pick up Elena. And I said very simply to Elizabeth, point her out to me. I just want to see who it is. She said, I'm not telling you, Dad. <laughs> no, I, I just want to go. See, because what I want to do is go be poppy, right? Because, you know, as a dad, I would have been hesitant to compromise my child. I, I didn't, you know, I want to be politically correct. As a poppy, I just don't care. I'll go take you out. <laughs> I wasn't ready to fast for three days. It wasn't about what I need to say. It's about how can we encourage Elena to be able to be strong enough to stand to her own feet and speak out and prayerfully what her mom and dad can do from their vantage point to act. How can they make God's possibilities real? Do you understand what I'm saying? My brother-in-law is on a pretty tough spot. And uh, when I left, because we don't know where it's going to go, he's at Duke Medical Center and not doing well. But we don't know how long it's going to go, so I had to come home. I spent hours in the hospital with him. I'm coming back exhausted. But when I got ready to leave to go to the airport, I had a choice to make. I could have joked about the next time we play golf or how my, tar, my uh, Blue Devils are going to kick his Tar Heels butt when they play soon, which is the kind of stuff we always say to each other. 
or I could tell him goodbye, knowing that maybe it would be. Some conversations are more important than others. What conversations does God need you to have? Not that you need to have, but God needs you to have to create the possibilities that God can do in your relationships in your midst. My guess is you already know. So take time to pray or fast or open yourself up to God and then say what God needs you to say. And then trust God for the results. Give it over to God. It's not yours to control. Esther has been a hero to the Jewish people from her day till this. May she be a hero to us as we discover our own strength to speak the truth, to not remain silent in such a time as this.